0: Well, hello everybody thank you for tuning in to the girl the the beard and the grim i was gonna talk for you <laughs> yeah no
1: not gonna let that happen
0: all right guys well we have a special episode today um all about 9-11 and the beard is gonna be taking over this episode
1: yay <laughs> so uh First things first, today it is the 10th, we're recording this the day before, which is very out of character, but uh, with tomorrow being the 20th anniversary and our regular upload day, I figured this would be a good time to do this episode, Uh, it just kind of works out. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another thing that probably most people that are listening don't know is my family is originally from New York, so... We had moved to Texas.
0: Like near the city, not like upstate.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like grandma from Queens, the other grandma from Bronx and then Yonkers. Very much so the city. Uh, That being said, we had moved down here to Texas by the time this happened, but still hit really close to home for the family.
0: Mm -hmm. So... Reasoning, because...
1: So, uh, well, what I was told when I was younger was that... My mom's dad, he was an architect and he worked in conjunction to help with the World Trade Center Complex. I don't know for sure what part he played, what building he worked on, because I know the two main towers were actually designed by a Japanese architect. And uh, funny story, completely terrified of heights. But uh, those were his... His brainchild, but I'm assuming my grandfather worked in there somewhere on the complex.
0: And it's also your dad's birthday. Hmm.
1: There's that too. Yes. My father, he turned, let's see, he would have turned fifty. He turned fifty yeah. on uh nine eleven, two thousand
0: and one. Yeah, I remember you telling me when we first got together that you were like, Yeah. My parents are from New York, so fiftieth birthday is a big deal. And he wakes up and he's like, and I'm going back to bed now. <laughs>
1: well you say that but my dad worked at lockheed and he was
0: there was no going back to bed for him yeah
1: no they they were working uh he put in a lot of extra time that week
0: also just want to um let everybody know we're still working out some audio kinks and whatnot so you might hear some extra breathing and sniffling and (laughs)
1: echoing and echoing. <laughs> I know there was some echoing in last week's episode but so we're working on it I'm we're, um, we're working on trying to get all the, the bugs worked out but yes
0: please be patient
1: so on to I guess the episode yeah I'm uh, ready
0: I um there's a lot about nine eleven. I guess that I don't know outside of living through it
1: yeah and I think so the big the big focus for me in, in today's episode is not necessarily the day because everyone remembers that day Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: and even the days after you know we all like there was constant news coverage Mm -hmm. i want to talk about how we got there okay and so i'm here for it uh i'm ready but just to recap for that day it was a tuesday it was absolutely beautiful out that morning At 8.30, absolutely no one knew, 8.30 Eastern Time, mind you, nobody knew what kind of day that was going to be. And at 8.46 a.m., all of that changed. Yes. And we're going to stop time right there, and we are going to go all the way back to Valentine's Day, February 14th of 1945. That's where this story is going to start.
0: All right. Well, I am ready, sir.
1: So on that day in 1945, FDR was on a battleship and he went to the Middle East and met with the king of Saudi Arabia. Okay. And in that meeting... This was essentially one of those things where the president of the United States went over there to work out deals for uh, basically for us to have oil. That's what that was all about. Now, granted, he offered lots of help to the Saudis, but the main deal here was peace and access to oil, preferentially over that of Russia, you know, etc. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. that right there, that deal, actually happened before the infamous Osama bin Laden was even born. Okay. But that deal Mm -hmm. and everything that follows between Saudi Arabia and the U.S. government is what molds and shapes his idea of us and of his home country. That's why that date is so important.
0: It's possible that it was... He maybe grew up in a household that twisted the idea or the events of what happened. It, and he was kind of fed some it misinformation? Not
1: necessarily his household, no. Oh, okay. So, what a, a lot of people don't know uh, Osama bin Laden's family, uh, Osama bin Laden's father specifically, was a building contractor,
0: mm-hmm.
1: he was a construction contractor. And he was a billionaire construction contractor. Yeah, I
0: contractor. Say, I've heard he's, he was super rich.
1: And the Bin Laden family,
0: mm-hmm.
1: for the most part, all of them have disowned Osama Bin Laden. Oh yeah. And the rest of them are very Americanized. They're very mm-hmm. loving towards the country of the U.S. And they are fantastic, you know, contractors. They mm-hmm. build amazing buildings, and you know, they're they're very Westernized, very yes i've more seen more regular people
0: i've seen some interviews of them on like youtube and you know kind of like those yes i'm osama bin Laden's niece <laughs> and no i don't agree with him and yeah all that kind of stuff well and, and, i mean there's
1: a there's a famous comedian out there out uh russell peters who talked to bin laden's brother on the phone mm-hmm. uh apparently his name that he goes by is david <laughs> david bin anything. laden and like he sounds like us regular, regular oh, guy. Yeah, yeah, so,
0: so he's the weird radical cousin that you may or may not get in a fight with at Christmas, exactly, <laughs>
1: so uh that being said, all right, Osama bin Laden was born in nineteen fifty seven on March tenth all right, okay, and he was one of very, very many children to his father. Uh, Obviously, in the Muslim faith, you can have four wives. Uh, Well, bin Laden's father had, over the course of his life, 22.
0: Oh, my goodness. (laughs) That's a lot of alimony.
1: Yeah. So what would happen is after he hit the limit, he would divorce one and marry another. (laughs) So he had 22 total across his life. Mm -hmm. Uh, Osama bin Laden was the 17th child in the family. And he was the son of the 11th wife. Okay. So, if you can imagine, it's not like his dad had a lot of time for him. Mm-hmm. He probably didn't get to see him very much. So, the next important date, all right, was 10 years after he was born, and that was the uh, 3rd of September, 1967. Okay. And that was when his father died.
0: How old was his dad?
1: Uh, that I don't know, actually.
0: So I imagine too, you, like, by the time you're on your, what did you say, the 11th wife? Yeah. I mean, you're not, you're not 28 anymore.
1: <laughs> no, no. So, but here's the thing is that Osama bin Laden, since, you know, at that point he lost father figure in his life at 10 years old, mm-hmm. his father figures became the Muslim leaders all right okay so it's a thing but the thing is he also went to americanized schools he went to college he was a well-educated man Hmm. but after college in early early 1981 all right he and this is during the time of uh when the russians invaded afghanistan i don't know if you remember any of this because that was before we were born
0: nope don't believe i was there that day (laughs) (laughs)
1: exactly so no when when
0: uh honestly i really don't believe any of this unless i just am fully blocking it but i don't even remember hearing about this in school uh well it was kind of i mean unless you had that weird like 80 year old history teacher that was like we're gonna talk about some shit it
1: was it was kind of bundled into the cold war narrative
0: oh okay okay so the
1: thing is is that the red army you know, the communists invaded Afghanistan. And America was like, hey, this isn't okay.
0: Yeah, here in America, they were too busy trying to show us how to, you know, apparently you could survive a bomb under your school desk.
1: Well, you know, I mean, it was the 80s. But in uh, early 81, all right, or uh, yeah, early 1981, a man named Abdullah Azam recruited Osama bin Laden to help Support the Afghan rebels, which were called the, uh, I don't want to butcher this, but it's the Mujahideen, which is the rebel fighting force fighting against the Soviets. And America stepped in and said, hey, we'll help you
2: Mm -hmm.
1: because we're fighting communism. Good. The funny thing is, is we fought that war against the Soviets side by side with the Afghanis for Mm. a long time. And until the day the Soviets left, we were allies. Hmm. But it was very tentative. Hmm. So now here's the big thing. All right. Bin Laden gets recruited to help out with the Mujahideen, all right, which is a rebel fighting force. All right. But Abdullah Azam also believes in what I'm going to call like a localized jihad. All right. And, you know, everyone uses the word jihad for different things. Some say it's a holy war. Devout Muslims here in the U.S. will say that it's an internal conflict about, you know, spreading, you know, the Muslim faith versus, you know, Christianity. Well, not just that, but loving your neighbors and oh, okay. as they are, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, Abdul Azam believed basically jihad was. We're going to keep people that are non-Muslims from invading our country. Okay, that was his whole thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which you know what? Fair. You, if you're a Muslim country and you have an, an official religion, and you have an official—that's—that's that's what you want to run your country. Go for it. That's all you. So the thing is this.
0: Can I interrupt you for a second? Yeah. Does it say why they recruited Osama? Like, did he? He was re- wealthy. Okay. That was my thought. I was like, "Is it Incredibly because he wealthy. comes from money?" You yeah. Know? Well, he's okay.
1: wealthy. He's influential. Okay. All right. And what what a lot of people don't realize is even here in the U.S.
0: Is he kind of like the Kardashian
1: of of the Middle of, of East? The Middle East.
0: <laughs> not quite. I don't think. But you know, he's got a little bit of clout and money.
1: Riding on daddy's coattails.
0: Right. Right.
1: Uh. No. The thing is, this is that in that time frame, Muslims from all over the world were being recruited for the Afghan Mujahideen and fighting the Soviets. So in this time period in 1981, something strange happens that adds a character to our story that we don't see for many, many more years.
2: Hmm.
1: All right. But on uh, October 6th of 1981, Anwar Sadat, the Egyptian president Mm
2: -hmm.
1: was assassinated
2: Hmm.
1: All right. Now, the thing is this. There was a man who was part of the Egyptian army who knew the president very well. He was a colonel in the Egyptian army, and his job was to protect the president. And he had routed out all these people out of Egypt that were planning to kill the president, locked him up, but there were soldiers... In the army that ended up carrying out the assassination. Oh. Now, this colonel, his name is Ahmad Salem. All right. Mm-hmm. And we aren't going to hear about him for a little while longer. Okay. But I just need everyone to know that in this point in time, he swears revenge on the person who orchestrated the assassination of the president that he was friends with. Okay. And this man is very important later. So, going back to Afghanistan, you've got this guy, Abdullah Azam, who recruited Osama bin Laden, who believes in this local jihad. And they're fighting this war against the Russian invaders. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: All right. Well, they, they have recruited lots of people, all kinds of people. All right. Another one of those people, all right, which... Not a super important man at the time, but his name was Ayman al-Zawahiri.
0: Alrighty, Eamon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he was recruited as well. We now know this man as the second in command of Al-Qaeda before Osama bin Laden was,
0: oh. was
1: assassinated.
0: Hmm.
1: We know now I do how important this man is.
0: believe I've seen his... His picture, I'm looking at it now that I've seen it. Uh, And
1: if you look at his picture,
0: you can kind of see
1: maybe Muslim extremist. I could also see a 60-year-old guy from a cornfield that happens to be wearing a turban. Yeah. He looks very white for being a Middle Eastern man.
0: Yeah, I see it. Yeah.
1: You know, Mm -hmm. just me. But... At this point, Zawahiri comes into the picture. Okay. All right. And him, Azam, and Osama bin Laden are running this war against the Soviets, which they eventually win. They drive out the Soviets with the help of the U.S. All right. But on November 24th, 1989, Abdul Azam is assassinated.
0: Oh, okay. And he's the
1: more moderate. Of the two when it comes to jihad. He's he's the one that believes in hey, we're gonna keep Muslim people in our country and non-Muslim people out. Go for it.
0: Okay. So he Zawahiri, might have might have kind of been like a voice of reason in the group. Yes. And gone now.
1: Zawahiri, on the other hand,
0: mm-hmm.
1: believe that you take the war to wherever non-Muslims are.
0: Oh, well that's not good.
1: <laughs> anywhere in the world. Now there's a lot of speculation on who killed Mm azam a lot of people point the finger at zawahiri because azam being the more level-headed and temperate of the three Mm -hmm. he was also the most influential person in bin Laden's life right and zawahiri felt well this just won't do Mm -hmm. so there's been some speculation that he's behind the assassination
0: i can see that definitely like take out you know you keep your enemies closest to you and take them out when you get a chance.
1: Exactly. Now, the problem is this with Bazam out of the way, Bin Laden only has Zawahir to fall back on,
2: mm-hmm. who's
1: very, very extreme in the idea of pushing the war outside of the Middle Eastern borders. Mm. Which is a problem.
0: Yes, I can I can smell what's cooking up.
1: Now, like I said, there were lots of other Muslims that were in the Middle East that were in this in this mujahideen, this this fight, right? This rebel group.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: One of these men, all right, is sent on behalf of Zawahiri and Bin Laden to the US to help recruit people and help recruit uh funds, to help gather funds to help in this fight against the Soviets. All right. And he's sent to America.
0: Oh, is this where the whole the Saudi Arabian prince needs $5,000 click (laughs) here? Not not quite. Not quite.
1: (laughs) No. This man in July of 1990, his name is Omar Abdel Rahman. He comes to the U.S. with a tourist visa. Now, keep in mind, he comes here on a tourist visa. But he was on a watch list already, and we still let him in.
0: Yay, America.
1: Now, again, there's conspiracies around this. Some people say that the CIA was trying to bring him in and convert him as an asset.
0: Oh, absolutely. I could see it. We've watched all the Jack Ryans of the (laughs) and
1: And the best part is, as things have become declassified, there's evidence that the CIA might have potentially allowed him to come in. Maybe not to be an asset, but they definitely made it okay for him to be here.
0: Oh, I believe it.
1: Now, the thing about Omar Rahman is he's blind. Not that much of a threat, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: He's a blind old man.
0: I'm sorry, are you saying his last name is ramen?
1: Rahman? R-A-H-M-A-N,
0: right. Rahman. Right, Tonkatsu.
1: Exactly. Now, here's the thing about Omar, all right, that you have to understand. He's blind. He's been blind his whole life. And he's known as the blind sheikh. Now, in the U.S., we normally say sheikh when we're talking about, like, the sheikhs of the Middle East, the princes, things like that. Mm-hmm. Which a sheikh is more of, like, a, a, a cleric or a religious figure. The thing is, in Arabic, it's pronounced sheikh. Like the weight.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought it just was, like, somebody that's rich. I didn't know it had to do a religion.
1: Yeah, no, in this in this case he's a a religious leader. So he's known as the blind sheikh. Now you remember our man in Egypt? The colonel in the army?
0: I'm laughing because you said our man in Egypt and my brain went to Jesus. <laughs>
1: I think you're thinking of Moses, but okay.
0: That one. <laughs> I can't get my my Bible men. Together. It's okay my grandparents who were ministers for many years are shaking their head down
2: <laughs> yeah
1: so the colonel in egypt all right who in in recent years he's gone on record saying he just goes by imad salem in interviews because these years for americans I don't
0: know if i've heard that that Name before. Oh, yeah. it, it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a it's a well
1: known name. We'll get mm-hmm. to that part. But okay. the blind sheikh is the man he he swore to get revenge on mm-hmm. because the blind sheikh was the one who organized or helped organize at least the attack that assassinated the Egyptian president.
0: Okay.
1: All right. Now, I wish everyone listening could see because in my mind, you know, like those. Those TV shows or movies where you've got that crazy person with the conspiracy theory that has the pegboard with all the yarn
0: strung all across it. Yeah, yeah.
1: That's the way this really is. Okay. All of it's interconnected. Okay. And I try not to bounce around too much. I'm trying to go in chronological order, but it's a little tough. So keep up with me.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So the blind sheikh, he gets sent to the U.S. to help gather money for this war, all right, and help Mm -hmm. gather devout Muslims to go over to Afghanistan and fight the Russians. And the U S was like, you know what, if that's why you're coming over here, sure. Great. Help us fight the communists. Awesome. So the blind chick comes over and he starts preaching all over the U S in mosques. But specifically there are two mosques in New York. Well, well technically one in New York, one in New Jersey
0: mm-hmm.
1: that flank Manhattan Island on either side Where he speaks most often. Okay. Now, of course, the blind shake is not exactly preaching temperance and grace.
0: And peace. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, not so much. (laughs) All right. He is preaching violence, Mm -hmm. sedition. All right. He's really, really, really pushing, Mm -hmm. all right, to find people. To do to
0: get the reaction. Well,
1: not just get, that, to he's trying to find the people that that will blindly go into battle.
0: <laughs> no pun intended.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, they'll they'll go into battle without batting an eyelash. And they're willing to die to do so. Okay. All right. So during all this preaching, again, the main goal here was to get Muslims over to Afghanistan to help in this mm-hmm. war. Okay. Well, one Muslim man who lived in New York was sitting in on all these, you know, different sermons. I guess you'd call them. I don't know if there's a different word in, you know, in the Muslim faith board. But he would sit in on these preaching, you know, times and these sermons. And Mm. he would absorb all of this extremist anger. Hmm. The problem is, is that he had an entire family in New York. And he was the only one providing for them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So he couldn't just up and leave for Afghanistan. Right. So this man, his name is El Sayed Nasser. And he decides, you know what? I don't need to go to Afghanistan to fight, you know, for the Mujahideen. I can fight my holy war right here. On November 5th of 1990, Saeed Nasser walked in and sat down and listened to Rabbi Meyer Kane, who was a bit of an extremist himself. He was an anti-Muslim rabbi. He was giving a speech. As soon as he was done, Saeed Nasser shot the man with a three fifty seven, and fled.
0: Wow. Wow, wow, wow.
1: So the rabbi died. uh, Saeed Nasser, he was shot later by a a New York police officer, but he lived. He was arrested. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the funny thing is, believe it or not, he was acquitted. What, oh yeah,
0: was it some kind of stupid mistake, like lack of Miranda rights or something like
1: <laughs> kinda there was there were a lot of little things that that led to the acquittal,, mm,
0: so he had a really good lawyer
1: <laughs> well, that's where it gets fun mm. a couple of days after the assassination before he ever went to court, mm-hmm. Osama bin Laden himself, all right, basically reached out to everyone he could and made an announcement praising Nasser's actions and calling for more Muslims to follow in his footsteps and fight those who fought against Islam. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Now, the funny thing is this, the blind sheikh, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: he went back to Afghanistan, all right? And I don't know if it was him directly or one of his friends went to Osama bin Laden and went, Hey we're raising money for Nasser's attorney fees. And Osama bin Laden went, sure, I'll write a check. Wow. And he funded the oh. entire defense oh. of Nasser. That's part of how he got acquitted, because he had some of the best lawyers money could buy.
0: Yeah. Has Osama bin Laden ever been to America?
1: I believe so. Okay. I'm not 100% positive. I know he was. he was taught a western college but i believe it was in the middle east it was a westernized right. college right right, right. uh i don't think he had quite the <clears throat> same reason like kim jong-un where kim jong-un lived in europe right you know but i believe Osama bin lan has traveled outside of the middle east okay so that was a travesty mind you it was horrible mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: all right but this is where it gets It goes from bad to way worse.
0: So we don't think like the government was paying attention to these like radical teachings. Just wait. Were they just thinking, uh, we'll just let them kind of be radical for a little bit, they won't have anything, and then this happened.
1: Well, no, no, no. At the time, before Nasser assassinated the rabbi, Mm -hmm. they were told by all these people in the Muslim community, oh. It sounds very radical, but it's because we're we're recruiting to fight against the Russians. That was the big pass in the eighties and nineties. Was oh well, if we're fighting the Russians, I mean, you know, if we're fighting the Russians. It's fine.
0: Hmm.
1: So, you know, that was the way it was. That's just anything to fight the trained.
0: Russians.
1: Well, again, they thought that any of this money and any of these men were going to go fight overseas in the Mujahideen. Like, there were groups from these mosques that would go to shooting ranges every week and train to shoot because they were all going to go over to Afghanistan, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: maybe, maybe not, and fight over there. That was the prevailing story at the time. But here's where it gets crazy. Three days after the assassination of Rabbi Meyer Cain, all right, the FBI raids Saeed Nocer's home in New Jersey, and they discover tons of evidence that allude to terrorist plots, including plans that roughly explain the idea of blowing up New York City skyscrapers. Wow. <clears throat> the fun part is, is all that information that they had,
0: mm-hmm.
1: most of it was never gone through.
0: That sounds about right.
1: Most of it was never touched in that time frame. A lot of it went to an evidence locker and sat there.
0: I guess with the FBI.
1: You got it. Well, I believe actually technically I went to the New York District Attorney, but it was all federal at some point. So yeah, <laughs> a lot of it stayed with the FBI. But here's where things get even weirder. Because in 1991, back in the Middle East, Osama bin Laden, he's been splitting his time between... Afghanistan and its neighbor Pakistan and Saudi Arabia, which is his home.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Saudi Arabia. I don't know if you know this about some countries, but you know you're not really allowed to criticize the government,
0: right? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Osama bin Laden was very. What's the word I want to use here? He was completely okay with criticizing Saudi Arabia's monarchy with their involvement with the U S because the U S came over there and it positioned troops in Saudi Arabia that would help fight in other parts of the Middle East, because we were friendly with Saudi Arabia. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Well, Osama bin Laden felt that only Muslim fighters should be in the Holy Land, especially since one of the U S military bases was very close to Mecca, which is obviously a very important place in the Islam religion. Yes, yes. So the thing is, is that Saudi Arabia was like, we're not going to put up with this. So they actually expelled him from the country. All right. And he ends up having to move to Sudan. Mm.
0: So he's that angry lion in aladdin maybe <laughs> you're saying saudi arabian all i'm thinking in my head is arabian i know
1: <laughs> but so he moves to sudan now the thing is it's not like he's in exile in some hut he still gets yeah, a allowance from oh, his family of oh, yeah. a couple million dollars a year yeah he's still an incredibly wealthy man if
0: not A few times a year,
1: I'm sure. And he builds a construction empire of sorts in Sudan. Mm -hmm. And he gets good government contracts with Sudan. And he becomes very powerful and influential in Sudan. Mm. So that started in 1991. That's where he started the next phase of his life in Sudan. Okay. So after he's been expelled from there, a lot of things happen rather quickly. All right. The blind sheikh is in the U.S. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Nasser got acquitted. All right. And a bunch of other people have been converted to this extremism at these mosques outside of New York City.
0: Now, do you know if Nasser stayed in the United States after he was acquitted or did he end up going? Yes, he stayed in the U.S. Okay.
1: So all these men who have, you know, one of them murdered someone Mm -hmm. and plenty more have been, you know, made into a, a very extremist type personalities are all in the New York, New Jersey area. Well, during this time, the FBI was like, you know what? Maybe there is something going on. And this is in the early nineties. And, uh, they're trying to figure out, you know, what they're going to do about it. Well, you know, people get talking to other people and they, they end up finding out this man who, uh, lived in the area named Ahmad Salem all right or Imad Salem mm-hmm. knew a lot of these men all right and he was willing to essentially be a informant a spy if you will
2: mm-hmm.
1: now granted in his interviews it's very obvious that he's a uh, 007 fan <laughs> and a lot of his stories are very romanticized
0: Okay, okay. He's
1: very much so a grown man living out a child's dream. But the FBI decide, you know what? He, he says he can do it. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. He, he was in the Egyptian military. He's an incredibly intelligent person. He's He was the head of security at a very prestigious hotel in New York. Obviously, he's good at what he does. Mm-hmm. So they put him undercover. All righty then. And he's this informant and he infiltrates with the Sheikh and Nasser and all these other men. And uh, it was probably, I want to say it was early to mid-92, all right? They said, hey, uh, Ima, we want you to wear a wire. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't feel safe.
0: He's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs>
1: He's like, you don't understand what these men will do to me if if I wear a wire. More importantly, what they'll do to my family that's still in Egypt Yeah, if I wear a wire. He's like, I can't do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, not his handlers, but the FBI at large, down, you know, Washington, decides, okay, cut him loose. And
2: right. they said, all right, well,
1: we don't need him. You know, if he's not going to wear a wire, he's no use to us. So, now the FBI is complete, flying completely blind. And they know that this group is dangerous.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But they have nobody anymore. Nobody on the inside, nothing. Hmm. Then the unthinkable happens. February 26th of 1993. The first bombing on the World Trade Center.
0: Wait. I didn't know that there was a bombing.
1: Yes. There was a truck bomb that was parked in the basement. All right. And blew the lowest six floors to pieces. Wow. Yeah. Now, by the time I swear i never were heard that before. Oh, yeah. So here's the thing. All right. The World Trade Center truck bomb is detonated underneath the North Tower of the complex. All right. The bomb was 1,336 pounds of urea nitrate hydrogen gas. All right. or A, a urea nitrate hydrogen gas enhanced device. And it was actually supposed to be powerful enough to completely compromise Tower 1 and send it toppling into Tower 2, which is the South Tower, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: bringing both of them down. And the goal in this attack was to kill over a quarter million people. That was the goal in 1993.
0: Okay, so essentially you're saying that they chose the... Because I'm trying to sit here and figure out what was so special about the World Trade Center complex, but is it just because the sheer amount of people? It is not just the amount
1: of people
2: Mm
1: to these extremists the world trade center mm-hmm. it was this shining beacon of american economy and capitalism and have all... they seen
0: the new building that they built
1: yeah <laughs> but <laughs> again the, the 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 world trade center tower the twin towers was the shining beacon of america and they figured if we can make that but go it's not away the
0: only world trade center in america
1: no But it's the most important one. It's the most famous one. It's the one everyone knows. If you say the World Trade Center, everyone instantly thinks New York. That's
0: true. If you look back at um, old episodes of Friends, Sex and the City, things like that, and they do like shots, they do show the World Trade Center a
1: lot. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. All right. As we both know, in 1993, the towers did not fall. Okay. What ended up happening is that the bomb went off messed up the bottom six floors pretty badly and nothing else
0: no casualties oh no there
1: were there were casualties
0: mm-hmm.
1: all right there was there was a lot of bad there were uh i believe it was six casualties let me double check before i lie to anyone yes it was six deaths and it injured over a thousand people i mean mm-hmm. it was it was still not good it was
0: mm-hmm. bad
1: yeah all right but it wasn't as bad as it could have been.
0: So somebody's calculations were off when they were making the bombs.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now, the thing is this, all right. When this happened.
0: They were absent on bomb making day.
1: No. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Here's the thing. This happens. There's this mad dash to find people that did it. Mm-hmm. Right? <clears throat> so it takes a while.
0: Let me f- guess. They're kind of accusing any and all Muslims not necessarily. Oh, okay.
1: So the thing is this, is that they didn't know who was behind this, whether it was the Muslims, the Russians, whoever. They weren't sure. All right? But they they were planning on figuring it out.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, during all this, the FBI calls Imad Salem and goes, uh, hey, we messed up. We'll pay you a lot of money. We'll offer you witness secure you know witness protection for you your family your family in egypt anybody and everybody we need you to wear a wire we need to figure out what's going on
0: wow did he agree to it he did oh okay
1: so he goes back undercover now as you can imagine he's been missing from right a Technically, quote unquote, at this point, active terror cell
2: mm-hmm.
1: for a whole while.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he just shows back up.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And basically he played it off as I, I chickened out. I, I wasn't ready for this kind of commitment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But they brought him back in eventually. And uh, he learns of a new plan. And this new plan is known as the Landmarks Bomb Plot. Now, most people have never heard of this plot or the trial that follows. Mm -hmm. All right. Because during all this, something else very big was happening in the world, apparently, which was the O.J. Simpson trial. Mm. And it blew this out of the water.
0: See, we're coming back around with that Kardashian thing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) So the thing is this, is that most of the conspirators in the 93 World Trade Center bombing were a part of this group, except for one man, one very important man, who left the US the day after the World Trade Center bombing. All right. It may, he may have even left that day, if I remember correctly. Ooh. He left quick. All right.
0: He's like, fuck this shit, I'm out.
1: And he was the bomb builder. Ooh. But I'll get back to him in a second. So they stick Imad Salam, Imad Salem, undercover. He's wearing a wire. All right. He's trying to get information out of these guys. And he finds out they're working on this massive terror plot, this massive bomb plot.
0: I just don't understand. Like, I'm sitting here, like, there's always going to be religious what's the word i'm trying to think of extremism extremism yeah what's the southern thing was a turpentine uh. <laughs> no but just like religious i know a lot of wars are religiously based okay oh, you yeah. get that Oh yeah. but i just don't understand why what the hell is your god telling you that you <laughs> that you need to bomb some people I well just uh, to be fair it.
1: to be fair all right it's not just Islam, there are plenty of different religions that have extremist views.
2: I know, I know.
1: I don't know if you've met a Southern Baptist and how they feel about drinking and dancing.
0: Oh, (laughs) the dancing.
1: The thing is this, is that there's always going to be a group in every religion that takes things a little too far. Yeah. But, back to the Landmarks Terror Plot. The thing about the Landmarks Terror Plot... Which is uh, kind of a big deal, and a lot of people don't realize it, all right? Because the, you know, thing was overshadowed. Eamon Salem's wearing this wire, and he's trying to get any information he can on tape. And the problem is he can't get any information on a wire, on a regular wire.
0: Hmm.
1: He's having trouble with it.
0: They are hairy, so.
1: Yeah. But he actually ends up telling the blind shake he's like you know since the blind shake knows he used to be in the military he says hey can you sweep my apartment for bugs and so he goes to a little spy gadget shop Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and he gets something that looks like a bug sweeper Mm
2: -hmm.
1: that makes a beep when you press a button on it Mm. and he goes to the shakes apartment and he says hey i'm gonna sweep all these rooms for bugs if it makes a beep there's a bug somewhere Mm -hmm. so he goes around the apartment and he Pushes that button and makes a beep in every room in the apartment (laughs) except the kitchen
2: Hmm.
1: because acoustically it worked best for trying to get a recording.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. All right. Brilliant. I'll give them that. Yeah. But the thing is, they still have problems with the recording, you know, a standard wire where it's on your chest. A, you know, they could pat them down and check them for it.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And B, It couldn't record well. The technology wasn't great in the early 90s.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: So apparently, and this is according to his interview, the FBI gave him a briefcase with a microphone in it. The problem being is that, again, technology wasn't great. And whatever spy guy designed this is an idiot and should be kicked. (laughs) When it was recording, there was a red LED on, on the briefcase i kid you not i couldn't make this up if i tried they had a red le recording light on the briefcase but luckily the sheik is blind so it doesn't matter uh, now the thing is yeah he ends up talking to the shake all right in this apartment and he's worried about the briefcase being able to pick up his voice. So he pulls the briefcase up to underneath his chin. And he's talking to the shake.
0: <laughs>
1: All right. With this briefcase held up to his face, which is the most unnatural way to have a conversation in the world.
0: Uh-huh.
1: All right. And he's just praying to God no one walks into the kitchen while he's talking. All right. With his briefcase with the recording light held up to his face, <laughs> you know, so they can record audio properly. Right. And the shake gives the go ahead on this terror plot. And that right there was all the evidence they needed to take down the shake. So now all they had to do was catch everyone in the act. Yeah. Well, the FBI, they uh said, you know what? You're gonna need a place to build this bomb. We have a warehouse that we just finished an op in that's completely empty. Tell them you know a place. Let them use this warehouse. So they do. All right, he he takes these these men and he says this is going to be where we're going to build our bombs. And he takes them to this warehouse and he sets it all up. All right, and they start building explosives in this warehouse.
0: And nobody thinks it's weird that this guy that was missing for a long time—no, no—all of a sudden's got these warehouse connections. <laughs> right. Well, no, th-
1: I mean, he's ex-Egyptian military. You never know what they have going on, right? But. To give you an idea of how big of a deal this is, how quickly all this happened, the World Trade Center truck bomb was on February 26th of 93. On June 24th of 1993, that exact same year, only four months after the World Trade Center bombing, Mm -hmm. eight men were arrested in the New York City landmarks bomb plot. Four months. Everything we just talked about happened in four months. Wow. Getting a mod infiltrated back into the terror cell, getting them on tape, getting them on video and audio at the warehouse, mm-hmm. because it was already an FBI warehouse. They had already had it set up for a sting with mics and cameras and everything. So they had video of all the bomb making and everything. They had all of it. And all of this happened in four months. Wow. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. On that, the 24th of June, eight men were arrested. All right. Two additional men, one of which was the sheikh, were arrested on 630, June 30th of that uh, year, and July 8th. All right.
0: Okay.
1: Now, the thing is, one of those men was Saeed Nasser, the man who was acquitted of murder. Oh. he did not get acquitted this time nope.
0: no. <laughs> when they've got
1: you on camera building a bomb, you're pretty screwed. I don't care who your lawyer is.
0: I mean now granted, everybody watched him go up and assassinate somebody, but
1: well, you know the thing is is it was at the end of a speech it was it was very busy. there was a lot going on you couldn't you you couldn't tell who shot and the thing is is when Nasser committed the you know, this this murder back in 1990, he snuck in there to this thing wearing a yarmulke. So everyone said, oh, it was a Jewish guy. Well, when they found a Muslim guy, they're like, oh, it couldn't have been him. He's not Jewish.
0: Poor little Jewish people.
1: Now. Now, of the 10 people that were arrested in 1993 for the Landmarks Bomb Plot, there was one man who was not arrested that was part of the original bomb in the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. All right? And that was the bomb maker. His name was Ramsey Youssef. Okay. And in a second, we're going to talk about him. Okay. But first, since no one knows about the landmark bomb plot, to make sure everyone understands, this was supposed to be a six simultaneous bomb attack. And we're not talking little bombs. We're talking big bombs. And the six targets were the UN headquarters.
0: Okay.
1: The Lincoln Tunnel. The Holland Tunnel. The George Washington Bridge. And the St. Uh, Regis and UN Plaza Hotels. And the FBI's main New York office. Okay. If those six bombs had gone off. Mm-hmm. Hundreds of thousands of people. Oh yeah, could have died. Mm -hmm. The tunnels and bridges in and out of Lower Manhattan would have been blown.
0: All of that would have stopped. Um, what am I trying to say? Medical and police help as well, like to get where they needed to go.
1: Yeah. Now there was also some talk of bombing Jewish targets in the city. And on top of that, there was also talk of assassinating. Uh, a U.S. senator at the time, Al D'Amato, and the current Egyptian president of the time, President Mubarak, which took over after the previously assassinated president. Mm-hmm. So, at this point, it was a big mess. All these men got arrested. All right. Imad Salam went before them and testified against all these men,
0: mm-hmm.
1: including the blind sheik. Wow. Alright. And I'm sure at some point he made sure to let the sheikh know that his revenge was had. Mm-hmm. Now the thing is there's nothing I can find really on Imad, Zulam, Imad Salem, Oh yeah. But nothing.
0: Like we don't know if he was killed later. Or...
1: As best I know uh, there was a another podcast that was done a couple of years ago uh, called The Road to 9-11, similar to what we're doing here, but it was an eight-episode deal. Mm-hmm. And at the time, e Salem was live to do interviews for that. Oh, okay. But he's in witness protection. So I don't have a date of birth. Mm. I don't know anything else about him. I know his name and what little there is on the internet about him, which is not much. All righty then. Because, you know, once you go into witness protection, you're a ghost. You're yeah. a whole new person. And apparently, he is really bad about keeping his mouth shut because in his interview in this podcast he said that he's had 17 different identities
0: oh my goodness
1: (laughs) since entering witness production program because they keep having to move him around because he's really bad at you know either giving up who he is or he's that recognizable one or the other so that being said that was the landmark bombs plot major thing that was stopped by one man, one brave man
2: mm-hmm.
1: who wanted to play 007 here in the U.S. Hmm. But the one man who got away, which is one of the most important men in either of those plans, was Ramsey Youssef. Okay. Now, Ramsey Youssef, all right, he was, he's kind of an enigma. We don't really know, we know a lot about him,
2: mm-hmm. but at
1: the same time, we don't. Alright. He was born either in (laughs) May of 1967 or April of 1968. We don't really know. And he was either born in Iraq, Kuwait, or the UAE. We also don't know. (laughs) Okay. We're not really sure. We know that's his name. But we also know he had 20 other names. The thing we do know is he wasn't exactly a muslim extremist all right he wasn't a you know a a jihadist he was what i would call a freelance terrorist (laughs) essentially he was a bomber to the highest bidder
0: okay and he's
1: been involved in a lot of stuff
0: he's like got the ad out on you know the dark webs craigslist
1: yeah Craigslist, Kijiji, Gumtree, you know, Mm -hmm. multinational. Mm -hmm. The thing is, this is that Ramsey Youssef was being chased all over the world, all right, by multiple agencies, Interpol, US, all of them, because he was committing crimes everywhere. And when? Everywhere. (laughs) But the curtain finally closed. In January of 1995, Ramsey Youssef was in the early stages of enacting what was known as the Bojinka plot in the Philippines with some accomplices when they were disrupted and they had to leave the plot unfinished. Okay. All right. Now, here's the crazy thing. The Bojinka plot, goofy name, but it was a plot that had a lot of stuff going on. They were planning to assassinate Pope John Paul II in the Philippines because he was visiting.
0: Okay.
1: They b- were planning to blow up 11 airliners in flight from Asia to the U.S. with the goal of killing approximately 4,000 passengers and shutting down air travel around the world. And they wanted to crash a plane into the headquarters of the CIA. Does any of this sound familiar?
2: Hmm.
0: And or
1: nuts?
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: So the thing about this, the only reason that this didn't happen was there was a chemical fire that drew the attention of the Philippine National Police in early January. All right. And Yusef, all right, along with another man who was his uncle, Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, they were unable to carry out any of this. Okay. None of it came to pass. The thing is, is that Ramzi Youssef and Khalid Muhammad, mm-hmm. they made it out of the Philippines. They slipped away for one month. <laughs> in, on February 7th of 1995, Ramzi Youssef is apprehended in Islamabad, Pakistan. All right. Before he was able to make it back to the safety of Peshawar, which is where what is now known as Al Qaeda was based.
0: Oh, okay. okay. Right at the time. How are these people like getting, getting to other countries? You think they're taking like boat?
1: No, I mean, or
0: other identities. Ramsey like, where yes, they I could, could fly. fly?
1: Yeah, he had. When he was called, he had dozens of passports, fake names. I mean, he's oh, okay. Like if you imagine the craziest TV shows with the ultra super secret spies with all these mm-hmm. identities, you know, blacklist. You know, Raymond Reddington able to travel the world at any point in time. That's what Ramsey Youssef was. All righty. We weren't even really sure his name was actually Ramsey Youssef. That's what we know him as.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But we're really not sure that's his real name.
0: I feel bad because I went to school with a guy named but His parents were like, dang it.
1: Yeah. But here's the thing. When he was arrested,
0: mm-hmm.
1: all right, there was no crazy religion speak in his stuff. All right. For him it was just all business.
0: I was gonna say at some point it gets away from maybe the original intentions. It always gets away from from that at, at some point.
1: Yeah. So but here's here's the thing. Ramsey Youssef is now safely locked away in as far as I know, Langley, Virginia. That's what they tell me. Okay. According to
0: the AKA Wikipedia and everywhere else. Guantanamo.
1: Possibly. You never know. I thought they shut down Guantanamo. Guantan-
0: oh, that's Talman. what they want us to believe.
1: <laughs> here we go. Well, here we go. But he safely locked away. Look,
0: Harold and Kumar went there.
1: Along with Said Nasser and the rest of them, right? You're not
0: even going to laugh.
1: I'm laughing on the inside. <laughs> now, of all these men have listed, all right, there's one... All right. All the men we've talked about, there's one man who's still out there being wild and crazy. That's Ramzi Youssef's uncle, Khalid Muhammad. He got away. He made it to Peshawar, he made it to safety. All right. But we'll come back to him because he comes into the story later because he is instrumental in what happened in 2001. So we move past Ramzi Youssef and all the crazy st- stuff in the early 90s. Let's move into, you know, the, the later 90s. In May of 1996, Osama bin Laden, he's been, again, this whole time in Sudan, all right, complaining about the Saudi Arabian government, all right, complaining about American troops in the Middle East, complaining about America, applauding the bomb plot you know, the, or the bomb that went off at the World Trade Center and the bomb plot, you know, that was foiled. He's, he's praising all of the Muslims that are doing all this work, right? Mm-hmm. All from the safety of his construction company in Sudan. Uh-huh. Well, finally, Sudan, because of enough pressure from other countries, mostly Saudi Arabia, Sudan's like, hey, bud, look, uh, you've been great, you've been fun, but uh, you got to go. Because Sudan had already gotten rid of like they told us something bin Laden you're no, you're no longer a S- uh, saudi citizen mm-hmm. you are not you're not a Saudi national anymore, right, and Sudan, after being pressured, was like, "You gotta go, so they seized his assets, they seized everything. It's estimated that Osama bin Laden in early 1996 lost somewhere between twenty and three hundred million dollars American a lot of money mm-hmm. All right. Because it was all seized by the Sudanese government. Wow. So he decides, well, you know what? I can't go back to Saudi Arabia. I can't go to Sudan. Or I'm, I can't stay in Sudan. All right. Most other places don't want me.
0: Why did they seize his assets?
1: Uh, Basically because Saudi Arabia told them to.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: Again, the fact is this is they were like, hey, You've got to go. You're doing things that are not okay. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to it, but, you know. Okay. So the thing is this. He decides, there's one place I can always go. Afghanistan. So he leaves and heads off to Jalalabad, Afghanistan. All right. Now, once he gets there, all right, he sets up shop with Zawahiri who's the extremist jihadist that wants to fight wars all over the world, right? Mm -hmm. They set up in uh, Afghanistan. And wouldn't you know it, but Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, the uncle of Ramzi Youssef, all right, decides to come and strut his way into Afghanistan to talk to Osama bin Laden. Mm
2: Hmm.
1: So, at this point, it's mid-1996, all right, sometime. We don't have an exact date, unfortunately, that didn't pencil on our calendar anywhere for us to find. <laughs> but sometime mid-1996, we know that Osama bin Laden and Khalid Sheikh Mohammed meet up in Tora Bora. All right, now, Tora Bora is, for those that don't know, it is a cave system, a cave complex in a mountain range in East Road, Afghanistan. All right. It's a stronghold for the Taliban uh, used by military forces against the Soviet Union in the 1980s. All right. It's a big deal because the CIA financed a complex built for the Mujahideen during this time period. And it's now a Al-Qaeda stronghold at this point in time. Because, hey, you know, somebody built this base. We might as well use it, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So they meet up, and Khalid Sheikh Mohammed goes to Osama and says, Hey, so my nephew, Ramzi Yusuf, had this crazy idea. And I've expanded upon it. And basically, what if we took planes and flew them into stuff? Right? Okay. Like, what if if we did that? What if that was something that we could do? And uh, maybe, just maybe... We could, you know, carry out some attacks like that. That might be a thing. And believe it or not, Osama bin Laden actually went, you know, we might want to scale back on that a little bit. Because it was way too complicated. Okay. All right. Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's ideas were East Coast, West Coast, you know, dozens of targets, Mm -hmm. dozens of planes
2: Hmm.
1: in like insane proportions.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, the thing is, is they never could come to an agreement. So they shook hands and parted ways. That's literally what happened. He, like, he, you know, basically they, Osama bin Laden was like, hey, it's too complicated. And Khalid Muhammad said, I like it the way it is. And they couldn't come to an agreement. So Khalid Muhammad left. But think about this. Okay. Osama bin Laden actually rejected some of the pretender targets. One of the big ones that... uh was brought up was the u.s bank tower in la imagine if on 9-11 we'd lost stuff on the east coast as well as the u.s bank tower in la and other targets like that yeah that would have been even more devastating It would have been massive
0: yeah wasn't one of the planes go- heading towards california
1: originally it was going to san francisco but it was diverted and we'll, i'll mm-hmm. i have a list of what the original targets were supposed to be okay but all of them were meant to stay on the east coast So, uh, a little bit later after they meet, all right, sometime in late 96, uh, technically was, I believe it was August, Osama bin Laden officially declares war against the U.S., specifically listing as one of his reasons was they did not withdraw troops from Saudi Arabia, all right? And he voices at this point that he now views his original, his homeland as an American colony. And that's kind of the way he feels. That's where this yeah. hatred comes from, is that,
2: mm-hmm.
1: firstly, the the country he, that was his homeland wasn't strong enough to stand up to him, but also, more importantly, that the U.S. was making them into a colony, all right? They were Americanizing them. They were, they were taking away the Muslim ways of the Saudi government mm-hmm. and replacing it with American stuff. Okay. okay. Now, the funny thing is, everyone says... Why on God's green earth do these guys that live in a cave system in the middle of Afghanistan think they can fight the U.S. military? Everyone always wonders that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: But what they don't know is that even all the way back in the 80s, where – excuse me. When Osama bin Laden was in Pakistan working working for the Mujahideen back in the day against the Soviets, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: once they pushed back the Soviets, they were like, hey – If we can push back one superpower, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: we can push back another one. And this propaganda that the Afghans and the Muslims were able to beat Russia. Yeah. Without disclosing the fact that the U.S. has held through the whole thing. (laughs) Now, all of a sudden, yeah, we could definitely beat America because we beat Russia. It's no big deal.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, America's worried about Russia. Now America should be worried about us. That was the propaganda. So, once this declaration of war happened in the in the 90s, all right, it became this official thing that Osama bin Laden was no longer just, you know, fighting to put Islam all over the map. He had picked the U.S. as the biggest source of his problems with the world. Mm-hmm. So, we're going to fast forward about two years. It's 1998. At this point, time has gone on things in the u.s are fine
2: mm-hmm.
1: not much in the home front you know we're doing our thing but in afghanistan february of 1998 osama bin laden and Ayman al-zawahiri they co signed something called a fatma which is it's almost like a religious de- declaration of war or a religious proclamation okay all right and basically what it says it's in the name of the World Islamic Front for Jihad Against Jews and Crusaders. All right, that was the name of this.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it declares the killing of North Americans and their allies, quote, an individual duty for every Muslim, end quote, to liberate all the, uh, to, to liberate one of the mosques in Jerusalem, which is, uh, it's the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem. Okay. It's a very important holy place in uh, Islam. And then also the Holy Mosque in Mecca from the grip. So they wanted to liberate the mosque in Jerusalem and the mosque in Mecca. All right. Which, if you remember, the mosque in Mecca was surrounded by, you know, was nearby a U.S. military base in Saudi Arabia.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then the one in Jerusalem, well, it's, it's in Jerusalem. It's in Israel. It's, it's the Jews. Okay. All right. He was very upset that America was helping Israel. So he decides these two very important pieces of religious architecture in our culture, it is the duty of every Muslim, all right, to liberate these two places from the group of America and Israel. Okay. At the public announcement, Bin Laden announced that North Americans are very easy targets. He told the attending journalists, You will see the results of this. In a very short time. Now, this was 1998. Considering he declared war two years earlier and nothing happened, Mm. America was like, eh. (laughs) The funny thing is, is that when the war ended with Russia, it took a while for us to realize at all that the Middle East that we were fighting alongside with finally decided, hey, uh, you're you're no longer an ally. You're now an enemy. It took us a little while for that to click.
0: Believe it or not. Gotcha.
1: At least in Washington. I mean, the guys that were over there, once bullets started flying, they were like, hey, uh, we're getting shot at. (laughs) You know, it's kind of easy to figure out when you're there, but it took Washington a little while. So after he makes that proclamation early 98, all right, sometime near either the end of that year or the beginning of the next. All right. He sits down again with Khalid Sheikh Mohammed and they decide to move forward with organizing the plans for the attacks on
0: 9/11. Okay.
1: They held meetings, they finalized the list of targets, they chose all the hijackers for the attack, and they called this plan the Holy Tuesday operation. And it did in fact happen on a Tuesday. The four original targets they chose were the Twin Towers, the Pentagon, the U.S. Capitol building and the White House. And each of these targets were chosen very specifically. All right. Those targets signified the U.S. economy with the World Trade Center, the U.S. military with the Pentagon, Mm -hmm. and the sources of U.S. policy in support of Israel, or at least what they felt was the source of those things, which is the Capitol and the White House.
0: Can you imagine if those that actually succeeded... It'd be bad. Yeah.
1: It would have been very bad. But it was also made clear to any of the pilots that if they were unable to reach their target, they were to immediately crash the plane. Okay. And now keep in mind, this is late 98, early 99. Mm -hmm. So this is three, three and a half years before 2001.
2: Okay.
1: And everything's silent. The hijackers were dispatched. They all made it to America. They went to flight schools here. They learned how to fly Cessnas and then immediately jumped into trainers, you know, simulators Mm -hmm. for airliners, which everybody thought was weird. But considering no one had ever flown a plane into anything intentionally, it didn't, you know, they were like, well, they're foreign. They just don't know any better. They're rich, you know, Arabian guys, whatever. Let them live their pipe dream. Right. But we know what happened next.
0: Mm.
1: September 11, 2001, four airplanes are hijacked and they're flown into targets on the eastern seaboard. One of those planes ended up going down in a field because the brave people on board decided to give their life in order to keep any other American flus in theirs.
0: Yes, that was flight 93.
1: The thing about Flight 93 that a lot of people don't know is that flight, all the planes were supposed to hit their targets near simultaneously. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Flight 93 was delayed at the gate. If it had not been delayed, that day could have been much worse. You know, if the first plane had done what they thought it would do, which was go through both buildings. And the second one didn't have to circle around and hit the second tower Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and it hit its original target. That day could have been much worse. Yeah. Not to say that it was a good day by any means. Mm -hmm. But there were a lot of things that went wrong for terrorists that day.
0: What, um, now your uncle Mark that worked in DC, Mm -hmm. do you remember any stories? Like, did he ever say anything about that day?
1: No, not really. Um, I know he was an attorney
0: mm-hmm.
1: in uh, D.C. I don't know where he was that day. Uh, I may never know. Now he's he's passed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both my grandmothers were still alive at the time. Uh, one in Queens, one in Yonkers. So they were close to the city, but not not so close as to be in danger. Uh, my uncles—they were up there with my grandmother and Yonkers, you know they were safe but it's terrifying Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but uh it was it was a very dark day
2: yeah
1: here in america now the big thing is that it's been 20 years since this happened And I remember at the five-year anniversary and the 10-year anniversary, there were these big remembrances and tributes and all these things. And that's tapered off over the last decade.
0: Yeah. we There's a lot of turmoil in America right now. Not to get too political, but where it seems like we are attacking each other, American versus American now. No. And I think we've kind of lost sight of you know well, who I, we were as a nation and I, I don't know if we'll ever get back to where we were i know we've said before like we can vaguely remember the days afterwards i remember that i still remember that day and it's hard for me to imagine that it was 20 years ago because of how vividly i still remember that day yeah. i remember being in the car and listening to kid craddock talking about it on the way to school yep um I remember going to school because my parents had to work. There was no, you were going to stay home. Oh, yeah. Even though there was maybe like 10 people in my whole grade that stayed that day. Um, So
1: I was in school mm -hmm. when it happened. And the thing is, is that my parents lived directly behind my elementary school. And normally me and my brother would just walk home from school at the end of the day, right?
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I'm decided to call us out of school early. Because, you know, it was a big deal for our family. And
0: Well, and they had come out and said that and I don't know if this is actually ever true or not, but I can remember it being oh, they were gonna st- because of President George Bush being from Texas, they were gonna start attacking the schools in Texas too. And you know I think everybody was, was like, How many planes are there? How many people are involved? There was a
1: lot of confusion that morning. Yeah. There were a lot of people that were scared.
0: And President Bush was at a school that morning visiting in Texas, so.
1: Which that probably added to the paranoia, but the fact is, is that we knew pretty quickly once they grounded the planes, you know, what was going on, you know, what was left. And we we knew shortly after that, you know, it was all in the northeast and eastern seaboard. But
2: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, I remember because normally I'd walk home from school, mom calls the school, and she... To this day, I don't even know if she remembers because, you know, her memory is not what it used to be, but she was so mad because the school made her go up there and pick us up, like drive to the school all one block <laughs> mm-hmm. because they would not let us walk home. Mm-hmm. And mom was like, literally the second they leave the school, I can watch them all the way to the house. And they're like, nope, you got to come pick them up. Yeah. So, my mother had to drive from our driveway to the school, which is not even an eighth of a mile. I mean, I'm talking a couple hundred yards. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, she had to sit in line and wait while well, these parents from all over, you know, the area were picking up their kids. She had to sit there and wait in line, pick us up, and then drive, you know, the 300 feet back to the house or whatever, you know? Yeah. And she was so mad that they wouldn't let us walk home, but, Mm -hmm. but, uh.
0: I can remember, you know, aside from the whole Toby Keith song and, you know, all that. I can remember months later being in the car with my sister and I can even remember the street that we were on in Watauga. Right. And, uh, we were driving and the radio coming on and it did like the emergency announcement sound where everything goes off and them announcing that we were at war, that we were going to war. Yeah. And, um,
1: well, and that's, so.
0: it's like, there's certain things about it that I can just like it, like it happened earlier today. I have a memory of it and. And I can also remember the racism and the, you know, we're still battling that as a country. Oh, yeah. You know, I can remember being at a grocery store and somebody ripping off a lady's. um, job. Yes, I'm going (laughs) to always mispronounce it. Ripping it off of her and yelling at her and. Oh, yeah. You know, just kind of shows how ignorant we all were, too. And
1: Well, again, everyone was scared. And, you know, they were being told by the media, you know, oh, the Muslims did this. And there was never any. There was never a definition given in the fact that they were extremists. They were terrorists. They were not just Mm -hmm. regular people. Mm -hmm. You know, that live in our neighborhoods and whatnot. But the thing is, is after that day. I've got two more dates on my timeline. Okay. One was October 10th of 2001. Mm -hmm. On that day, Osama bin Laden and uh, Al-Zawahiri, his mentor, but also second in command, they appeared on the initial list of the U.S. uh, FBI's top 22 most wanted terrorists, which was released by President George W. Bush.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: All right. We knew, because immediately they didn't, believe it or not, Al-Qaeda didn't immediately take credit for it. Right. It took a little while, but like they actually originally came out and said, nope, that definitely wasn't us. Mm-hmm. But then they decided to own up to it.
0: Weapons of mass destruction.
1: <sighs> and then early November in 2001, the Taliban government, which a lot of people don't understand, that the Afghanistan government at this time was the Taliban. And the reason why I want to bring this up is because this is this is the Taliban government that just took back over in Afghanistan. I don't want to talk too much on current political events, but the same government now was the same government then. In early November 2001, the Taliban government announced they were bestowing official Afghan citizenship to al-Zawahiri, Osama bin Laden, Muhammad Atef, Saif Adal, and Sheikh Asim Abdulrahman, which all of these men were on that wanted list Mm -hmm. of terrorists. Mm -hmm. Knowing that they were on this list, the Taliban government said, no, 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 these are our people now. Now, that being said, a lot of people ask. You can't
0: see me, but I'm shaking my head right now.
1: (laughs) A lot of people have asked why we went to war after this, especially since a lot of the younger generation now, they weren't, either they weren't old enough or they weren't alive when this happened. But there's two things I understand. One, this was a terrible thing that happened that we felt the need to go to war over. But more importantly, we had been at war because war had been declared on us. Five years before it happened yeah this was the equivalent of you know Pearl Harbor in World War II like we knew there was a war going on
2: Mm -hmm.
1: but we were like "Eh, we're gonna stay mostly out of it like we'll we'll help with foreign aid and things and we'll you know we'll send troops to help in other countries but not like actually fight Mm
2: -hmm.
1: until we were attacked yeah and then we were like (laughs) not nah.
0: <laughs> suit up bitches
1: well you know the, uh, i believe the 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 pc way to say it now is uh you may test your assumptions at your earliest convenience mm. which is the very uh very highfalutin pc way of saying you know f round and find out <laughs> that day changed the world forever
0: Do you think when Osama bin Laden got caught, he was like, well, if it isn't the consequences of my own actions, (laughs) you know, I'm looking here and I can see where they're saying that he um, died and was buried on the same day. Who? Osama bin Laden.
1: So Osama bin Laden.
0: And that he was buried in the Arabian Sea.
1: So here's the thing.
0: What does that mean? They weighted his body down?
1: I'll tell you Quick, <laughs> quick recap before we, we wrap this up Okay uh, So we spent years Honeyed out of San Bin Laden
0: mm-hmm. Alright Ten or almost ten
1: Yeah It took a long time
0: I remember that day too I remember being at work um, When they finally released The information Even though it had happened really the night before But yeah Yeah
1: Which I urge anyone, if you don't know the story of uh, the operation that was sent to kill or capture bin Laden, uh, there are great documentaries out there on it. There's actually one of the SEALs that was there and the man who shot Osama bin Laden. uh, He did an interview on it. uh, And I highly recommend finding it, listening to it, uh, watching it.
0: Yeah, he does a good story because there was a lot of people that came out to you and was like, Well, why was it the Navy SEALs? Why was it that, you know, who (laughs) is it? And they must be covering something up and doing this. And I was like, obviously, you don't know much about.
1: Because when you you need something done, you send the SEALs. Yeah. The fact is, it was on May 2nd, 2011. uh, The White House had announced that SEAL Team 6 had successfully carried out the operation uh, killing Osama bin Laden. Mm Mm-hmm. It actually happened uh, a little bit before that announcement. Yeah, our
0: time, it was like, what, 8 o'clock p.m. Our time on the 1st?
1: Something like that. Well, no, no, no. That's what they're saying. May 2nd is when the announcement was made from the White House that it happened.
0: Yeah, because technically where he was in Pakistan, it was May 2nd already. Because of the time difference.
1: No, no, no. Here in the US, on May 2nd <laughs> was when the White House made the announcement.
0: Right, I know.
1: So, it probably happened a couple of days before. But No, I mean the seal the, anyway, so the SEAL team that went in there, <laughs> they stormed the compound. They uh funny thing, one of the the two helicopters they took in,
2: mm-hmm.
1: they were these special stealth helicopters.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh they crashed one of them. Oopsie. Very gently, but they did crash it. Mm. Uh, into the roof of the house they were trying to
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know storm uh again, I urge you to listen to the interview. It's a fantastic interview he the 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 seal who's on that team tells an amazing story He's is an amazing person um but they go in they do their thing uh he turns the corner and he sees Osama bin Laden and he kills him they Exfil, which is to leave with Osama bin Laden's body.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And they bring him back into Pakistan. And they make sure his body is ID'd, 100% confirmed that is him. And on their way back, he is dropped into the ocean. Now... There are some people that say that it's a cover-up that, you know, you can't tell if it's him, you, you know, this, that, and the other, blah, 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 he, you know, why would you drop him in the ocean? I can't speak on that. I don't know. The, the, the reasoning is what it is. The story, if you listen to the seal, it's a good story, and he explains it as best he can with what he can divulge. But uh, it's... I think that was a pivotal turning point in the fight against Al Qaeda, the only issue being as far as we know, to this day, Al Zawahiri, the quote unquote second in command and you know super important, you know, mentor of bin Laden. As far as we know, he is still the leader of Al-Qaeda to this day. We don't know any other. Any other from that now, but as far as we know, he is the leader of Al-Qaeda today.
0: Do you think they ever picked up his body out of the sea?
1: (laughs) I highly doubt it. I don't think that's how that works.
0: Like not American, but do you think anybody else went out there? I
1: think that's a lot of work.
0: I mean, yeah, but they are extremist.
1: They may be extremist, but I don't see them going to those kind of lengths. <laughs> but I do think that at the end of the day, everything that happened on that day, going back to the 11th, while it was a mess and it was not something I would ever wish on anyone, I think that it was to a degree something that was unavoidable because it had been coming since, like we said at the beginning of the story, the 1940s. There were things that could have been done, And like we said, there were documents found in 1993 in Nasser's apartment that could have helped foil these plans. There were lots of things that could have fooled these plans.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. But at the end of the day, if we had foiled those plans, what else could have happened? Yeah. You know, we were able to follow the landmarks plot. Which saved countless lives. Yep. But 9-11 is what came after. If we had stopped 9-11, we wouldn't have, you know, sent the fight to them. Which meant that something else could have happened here.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: So, we'll never know. No. But. no. I think that rounds out as best I can tell it. in It's crazy twisting backwards, you know, tinfoil hat, yarn and pins on the wall, you know, story.
0: I think like a lot of what I take from it is one, the religion always, always, why why as a planet because it's not just a it's not just one country it's all of us at any given time with religion always wanting to fight somebody on it but I also kind of take away from it a little bit of just misunderstanding of what somebody else's actions were right and also people's need to always have some kind of um, leader that they follow like yeah. they can't think of think on their own unfortunately but and i think that's what's really sad about all of it is a lot of these things shouldn't have ever happened but it was just because this person seems really passionate about this thing and i need somebody to follow so i'm gonna go be passionate about that thing too it's kind of like i know this isn't that funny but you know that sound from um what is it? Ricky Bobby Talladega Nights. It's like the kid's like, anarchy, anarchy. And then the other brother's like, I don't know what it means, but I love it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, why? And I know that's just, that's one of life's mysteries, unfortunately, is there's always, if we take down one bad person, unfortunately, there's going be more of pop, pop up, up to replace them. And it's really, really, really sad and tragic about what's happening in Afghanistan again and I have never served in the military I have some FEMA members that have and I know we know lots of people that have thankfully a lot of the people that we know didn't have to actually serve time over there they were able to do their time here or um, not in you know Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq, all that but they I just want to extend out to them that I am very proud if you did serve time over there for what oh, yeah. you accomplished. And I don't want you to think that because of what's happening right now, diminishes your time that you spent over there and what you went through as a person. And, and what you
1: were able to accomplish while you were there.
0: Absolutely. And um, my heart also does go out for some of the veterans that couldn't handle that in these last few weeks and they have unfortunately taken their lives or have either swung back into other codependency things whether it was drugs or alcohol things that they've really fought really hard with their ptsd to overcome and i just really hope that they get the treatment that they need and yeah and just go out to their families too about everything that we need to come together again as a nation yeah we need to stop with the political things and the vaccine things and all of that and just try to come together again. Maybe go listen to that Toby Keith song where it says, I'ma stick a boot up their ass. Maybe that'll put a fire under you. <laughs> see, the
1: way I see it is this is that I don't think that any anyone who's ever served in the US Armed Forces should feel that what they done what they had Done over there when they were serving was for nothing because there is an entire generation
2: mm-hmm.
1: of Afghani people that not only know that the American army was there to help but could feel and see the difference. That have in the United States Army they're made. And it's unfortunate. It's sad that there are.
0: That also brings up a good point too. Because. There's a whole generation of people. That were born after 9-11 too. That want to sit here. And question why we were even there. And it's like. Maybe you should. Get a pen pal. Do some research. Talk to the. The kids that went through it over there or the kids that have grown up tell you
1: since it. we were there because that's yeah. the that's the hardest part for me yeah. is that I've been reading the news and hearing the news that there are afghani citizens afghani kids you know that are in college now
0: mm-hmm. you
1: know they're grown
0: yeah
1: that have been able to wear jeans and t-shirts their whole life dance and yeah, dance mm-hmm. and there were young women that felt the need to burn their jeans and t-shirts so they wouldn't be killed. Yeah. There was a man that normally, there was a guy who was a younger guy, you know, he wrote, you know, he was interviewed for an article, and he said, you know, normally I'd go and take a jog every morning, I put on some shorts and, you know, tennis shoes, and he's like, I'll go for a jog. He's like, I got stopped, and they said, you need to go home and dress like a, a proper Muslim man. Before you come back out of the house. Yep. Because shorts and tennis shoes was just not okay. You know, robes and slippers. That's it. (gasps) And the thing is, though, is that all of those people. While they have had to make an adjustment. They know what people went through to give them that sort of life Mm -hmm. and they'll never forget it. Yeah. And I think that one day we'll see the fruit of that in Afghanistan, at least
0: Mm -hmm. hopefully,
1: you know, it may not be today. It may not be tomorrow, but one day that generation that remembers the kindness of American soldiers and the, links they went to to make sure they were safe and healthy and happy and able to express themselves how they saw fit, they will make a difference in their country. And that will be a good day.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Just like it is over here, it will be good there.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's it for our episode today, guys.
1: It was a, It was a long one. It
0: was a long one. There's a lot a- of information. It's a little touchy. Um, it's late. I'm sorry if I'm a little tired. Hey, it's been a long week. Yeah. But we do have another episode coming up for you. Um, our upload date still is Saturday. Um, if you have any show request or episode requests, want us to research something, look into something, please hit us up on our Instagram, send us a message, um, and follow, like, share... All that fun stuff. help Download. Us help us build up. I would really love to hit like a hundred followers on Instagram by Thanksgiving. That's my goal.
1: That should be a thing.
0: So if you can really help us get there, that would be fantastic. And we appreciate it. Every listen, every follow, every like, every share. We love y'all. And I hope y'all have a great day.
1: And thank y'all for listening to... The Girl... The beard. And the grim. you yeah, have a good one.